Hi, I'd like to welcome you to our show. I'm your host, Praying Medic. We're talking about life as a child of God and all things related to his kingdom. Thanks for joining us. If you're a new listener to the show, you can find articles and books and other resources on my website. Now let's jump into this week's show. Hi there, everyone. This is Mark here from the SBNR show, and I'm really excited today to have um, Praying Medic on the show, and uh, we're going to be talking to him right now. Um, those who don't know about Praying Medic, uh, he's a uh, he's a paramedic who basically is famous for uh, praying for people and having an incredible success, and that's led to uh, some amazing adventures and some amazing stories, and I know we're going to have an incredible uh, uh, interview with him. Um, he's a uh, He's an author. He lives in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, he's written about a lot of his miracles. And that's uh, that's that's my introduction. Hey there, our praying medic. How are you doing today? Hey, Mark. I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you very much. Let's uh, let's just get right into it. So, could you could you tell just let's just I just like to get to know you a little bit there. And uh, where did you where, what part of the world did you grow up in? I actually grew up in uh, Wisconsin. And uh, I lived there for most of the first 30 years of my life. I came from a large family. We have 10 kids in my family. Okay. Uh, eight boys and two girls. My childhood was a little bit traumatic because <laughs> I ended up getting in a lot of fights with my, my brothers. Uh, as you can imagine, with eight boys, it was uh, quite a circus at our house. I became a uh, volunteer EMT in 1981. And I worked as a volunteer EMT for a small town ambulance service for about five years before I went to paramedic school. I actually went to paramedic school in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I moved down there and uh, lived there for a few years, went to paramedic school, uh, came out of school, and then actually ended up moving back to Wisconsin and worked there until 1994 when I moved to Washington State. Uh, Worked in Washington State for about 16 years in the uh, Olympia, Tacoma area, and then uh, almost four years ago, we moved to Phoenix. So okay. I moved around a bit. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, I lived most of my life as an atheist, actually. Yeah, that was going to be my next question, actually. What, what is just, what is, what is the story behind, uh, you know, you know, how did you come, how did you transition from <laughs> atheism to being a Christian? <laughs> it was an interesting story. Okay. And I'll give you the Reader's Digest condensed version. Okay. Uh, my parents were Catholic, and we went to Mass every Sunday. But I really never uh, felt like it was anything I was interested in. I didn't, I didn't have any interest in religion. Didn't have any interest in the church. It just didn't inspire me. Didn't, and I, I saw a lot of religious hypocrisy mm-hmm. in the church. So when I was about twelve or thirteen years old. I just told my mom and dad, "I'm not going to church anymore. I'm just not going. I'm not interested." In high school, I started to learn about biology. I took a, you know some classes and started to learn about. Um, Darwinism and uh, evolution, mm-hmm. and I kind of hung my hat on Darwinism and evolution right. for the rest of my adult life. I just became a uh, an atheist, believed in evolution, didn't really see a need for God. I, I really thought Christians were some of the most obnoxious, judgmental idiots that I ever met in my life, and I really didn't want anything to do with them at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have a I have a similar story to that. <laughs> yeah, carry on. I'm, yeah. Sure, I, I'm sure a lot of us do. Yeah. But then um, 
through a series of events, um, I started having some relationship problems. I had been working for the fire department for about five, four or five years and became you know, really good friends with my, my paramedic partner. But then we started to have problems and relationship problems. And a lot of that centered on pride and arrogance on my part. And uh, really, it just kind of eroded the, the relationship. And it started, the, the pride and arrogance kind of started to destroy other relationships, too. So I ended up reading uh, the book uh, Left Behind. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I read it on duty one day at the at the fire station, and one of the characters in the book, Rayford Steele, who was the pilot, uh, had a very similar backstory to his life as to what I had, and his he saw himself similar to how I see myself. He's he's a lot like me, and in in the book, he uh, ends up, you know, coming to a realization that God is real and he needs God, and he needs you know Jesus. And so I was reading the story, and I, I could feel in uh, this presence in the room with me at the fire station. And there was this, there was a very, very clear sense for the first time in my life that God was in the room with me. He was speaking to me in these thoughts in, in my mind that I could hear. And he was really saying, look, you think you're such a, you know, a hot shot. You think you're so good. What about all these things you've done over your life? What about, you know all these sins and all these lies and all this, these uh, other things. And he tr- kind of dragged out all the junk out of my closet and laid it out there on the floor. And I thought, well, you're right. I'm not such a good person. <laughs> that night, I made a commitment to follow Jesus if he would give me some kind of a voice or something to listen to. And I woke up the next morning, and I heard this voice, very clear, very loud, distinct voice inside of me, speaking to me, encouraging me, not to be, you know, mean and, and hurtful towards other people. And that was how I became a believer. So you, you, the, the, the voice was tangible. You could, you could hear the voice. Oh, yeah. it was, it was it, I, I would almost say it was audible, wow. except that nobody else could hear it except me, right. <laughs> <laughs> which quite, quite frankly surprised me because it was so loud. I would think, walk around going, do you guys hear that voice that's talking? Right. I can sure hear it. <laughs> It was very loud. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's incredible. So I mean, you know, you you went into a uh, into medicine, I guess. Um, what was that something you always wanted to do? Is it was it a, nope. a desire behind that? I, I have never done anything intentionally. Right. I've always done everything by accident. I see. Which is a bit strange, but that's kind of my the way I've done things. I didn't really ever think about becoming an EMT. Uh, I never thought about becoming a Christian. I never thought be- about becoming an author. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these things just sort of dropped in my lap. It was strange because I was working at a factory when I was, um, I had graduated high school and I was 19 or 20 and I was, it was a factory that my father worked at and he was a plastics engineer and it was a manufacturing uh, place. And he was trying to get me to follow in his footsteps. He was a, an engineer and he was trying to teach me how to read blueprints and uh, how to do cost estimating and stuff like that. And I had no interest in that whatsoever. It right. just did not interest me at all. But he was very persistent and was trying to get me to be interested in this stuff. And I finally said, Dad, look, I hate to hurt your feelings, but I'm really not interested in this. My mother was a volunteer EMT with the local uh, ambulance service. Um, she came to me and said, you know, there's an EMT class starting up at the community college, and she said, you know, I'm an EMT, and I really like it, and I think you would like it. You should maybe consider just going up there and sitting in on the first class and see what it's like. Right. So I thought, you know, it's not going to hurt. So I went up, sat in on the on the first EMT class, 
And uh, actually, believe it or not, they don't do this anymore, but the very first night of EMT class, they showed us how to do a surgical airway oh, wow. with, a, with a scalpel and an empty pen barrel. Right, I've seen that. Cut somebody's throat open and stick the pen barrel in there. I thought, I was watching this video, and they did it on a goat. And I was thinking, wow, no kidding, that that's pretty interesting. <laughs> no kidding. So, so uh, I, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm, interest, I'm moderately interested in this. So um, I didn't think that I wanted to be an EMT or a firefighter. I just thought, you know, this is good information to have. If I have kids someday, it would be good to have information about how to respond to medical emergencies. Yeah. And I had, no, I had no intention of, you know, working on an ambulance or anything. Right. But as fate would have it, I signed up and I went through all the classes. And about halfway through our EMT class, a bunch of the students were doing their ride time with the fire department, and they were coming into the class talking about the calls they went on and the things that they saw and all the cool stuff that was going on in the ambulance. And I thought, hmm, maybe I should give this a little more thought. So I signed up uh, to do a ride uh, shift with the fire department, and I instantly loved it. Right. And uh, it, it, it just be, was so fascinating to me. It just became the thing that I knew I was, I was going to want to do. So that's right. kind of how I, how I got into it. Yeah, totally. That's out cool. of the blue. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's really cool. I guess, I guess a lot of people would be interested to kind of know when, obviously, you was uh, working as a paramedic. But some, did you became a Christian through that period of time, like after you became a yeah. paramedic? Yeah. Oh yeah, I had, I had been. You know, I was an EMT back in 1981, 82 is when right. I started in medicine. I went to paramedic school in 1988, and I didn't become a Christian until the year 2000. Oh, wow. Okay. I've been a medic for a long time. Yeah. Seen a lot of trauma and tragedy and death. I had gone through many different phases in my career of burnout, becoming disillusioned and jaded. Some, some of the jobs I worked were great. I just loved them, and some I absolutely hated going to work every day. Right. So at some point, you, you, know, you, you got into a situation where you were praying, praying for somebody. You know what? Yeah. What led to that? What was what was this transition from? You know that moment. I mean, there's many people out there who have difficulty just praying for anyone on the street, let alone in your situation. A very strange set of circumstances. Okay. So I had never considered praying for my patients. Right. You know, I, even as I had been a Christian when when God first started to you know bring this issue up, I had already been a Christian for about. Seven years, oh, eight okay. years. Okay. Yeah, right. and, and I was just going to a denominational Bible teaching church that didn't really teach anything about healing or miracles or uh, deliverance. It was just come on, come to church on Sunday, you know, read the Bible, and uh, leave your tithe and offerings and come right. back next right. Sunday and hear another message. Do the same, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, do the, do the same thing every week. Rinse and repeat. But um, in 2008... Uh, in August 8 of 2008, I had my first dream in 25 years. And in oh. the dream, God, God appeared to me in the dream and said, I want you to pray for your patients. I'm going to show you what's wrong with them. And if you pray with them, I'll heal them. Wow. And uh, that was the dream. <laughs> he, wow, that's incredible. He showed me some things, he showed me some things in, in a series of visions. Um, he actually showed me several different visions. If you read the uh, first chapter of the book of Jeremiah, when, when Jeremiah was commissioned by the Lord, the Lord basically tested his ability to see visions. 
he showed him a branch of an almond tree and he said, Jeremiah, what do you see? And Jeremiah said, well, I see the branch of an almond tree. And the Lord said, you've seen right. I'm watching over my word to perform it. And then he showed him a boiling kettle pointing north. And he said, Jeremiah, tell me what you see. I had one of those experiences where he's showing me things and asking me, what do you see? So the first thing he showed me was it looked like an anatomy textbook. And I saw a healthy pair of lungs and a diseased pair of lungs. And he said, tell me what you see. So I said, well, that set of lungs looks diseased and that one looks healthy. And he said, right. Then the anatomy textbook vanished, but I still saw two more images. I saw a brain with a, it looked like it had a tumor and a brain that was healthy. And he said, tell me what you see. And I said, well, that brain looks healthy and that one looks like it has a tumor. And he said, right. So then he showed me two more images. One of them was uh, a stomach with an esophagus. And the esophagus had really distended blood vessels all over it. It looked really diseased. And so I told him what I saw, and there was a healthy one next to it. And I said, well, that one looks healthy, and that one's diseased. And he said, right. And then and that's when he said, uh, I'm going to show you what's wrong with your patients, and I want you to pray for them, and I'll heal them. So he basically said, I'm going to show you things in visions about your patients, and you pray as you see these visions, and I'll heal them. And the funny thing was, I'd never seen a vision up until that point. I didn't really? know what visions no. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I've never had visions, never seen anything supernatural, never had a dream, probably since I was 20 or 21 was the last time I remember having any dreams. And this was, you know, I was now 46 years old when I had this, this dream. He made it pretty clear that he wanted me to start praying. And then I saw a, ser- a series of visions where I was kind of giving people prophetic words and praying for different people in hospitals. Some of them were doctors and nurses and different things. So from that point forward, I knew I had been commissioned to go out and heal people and (laughs) give them prophetic words. Okay. And I'll tell you what, the first three to six months of this was such an ordeal because I didn't know anything. (laughs) And I didn't, I didn't, I had no background, no history. I didn't know where to find information. I didn't know anyone that was doing this. I didn't know anyone who believed in it. I, I, I was clueless. Right. Um, so, strangely enough, I ran into this uh, little book written by a cardiac surgeon, actually, a cardiologist, and I think he was an internal medicine doctor, called the, A Physician's Witness to the Power of Shared Prayer. It, it was kind of a strange set of circumstances, too. I was driving down the road, and uh, I felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me, I want you to go to this uh, secondhand store. It was a Goodwill store. And so I thought, okay, whatever. I don't even know why. So I pulled in the parking lot and I went inside. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, I want you to go down to the book section and I want you to look for a certain book. So I went down there, not really knowing what I was looking for. And I'm thinking, okay, well, you better show me what book I'm looking for. And there on the shelf was this very thin book called A Physician's Witness to the Power of Shared Prayer. And I thought, I just knew that's the book I'm looking for. So I picked it up and I took it to the cash register, paid for it, and I went outside and I started reading it. Uh-huh. And, and the interesting thing apart about it was, he, well, the doctor who wrote the book doesn't share a lot of testimonies of miracles like the kind that I've seen. He did see several people healed through prayer. But what he did was he talked about how uh, his perception of uh, praying with patients and the taboos that people have Mm-hmm. think you, you can't pray with your patients that's right, you know, right. ethical or whatever he said no in, in fact 
there are many, many patients, most of them, in fact, welcome prayer, uh, especially if they're in a situation where they feel like, you know, their life is on the line. Right. Uh, when a doctor says, hey, would you mind if I pray with you? Um, almost everybody says yes. Yeah, reading that book really helped me understand that it's okay to pray with my patients. And But even after reading the book, I was still very frightened mm-hmm. and timid and didn't want to pray openly with anyone. And so it took a long time, a lot of prompting, and God, the Lord gave me many, many dreams about praying for patients and seeing them healed. I eventually got myself up, you know, the courage to start asking people if I could pray with them. And of course, the first three or 400 people I prayed with, nobody was healed. <laughs> right, that's a very typical story. So, so that was fun. Uh, yeah, because I, I, I was coming from a position of total unbelief and skepticism and doubt. Right. I just didn't have any faith. Right. I expected that nothing was going to happen, and nothing happened. Yep. So after I started watching some Todd White videos and uh, reading a few more books, I got a hold of John Wimber's book, Power Healing. Okay. Um, my mind started to get renewed to the truth, and I started to actually believe this was possible. And then I started seeing people healed. Right. That's a very important point, actually. Is uh, something I've been looking at myself a lot lately. Is the whole concept of belief. Uh, we always look at the concept of belief as if it's, um, you know, an, an action, but belief is almost a substance of something, right? Would you? Yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah, I would. Agree. Yeah, I actually. Um, for me, and, and you're welcome to disagree with me okay. if you want, but for me, belief is almost synonymous with confidence. Okay. The more confidence I had in God, the more confident I was that if, if I would, could get to pray for somebody that he was going to heal them, the more frequently I would see people healed. Right. I just, I just started to develop this um, confident expectation and I think the Bible says somewhere that it, uh, hope or um, faith is the is the confident expectation of uh, the things that we've prayed for. What I what I understand it to be is, uh, if I pray for somebody and my mind and my heart are full of doubt and skepticism, like I'm not expecting that God's going to heal them, I, I don't anticipate anything great's going to happen. Things don't generally work out as well right. <laughs> as they do when. I um, reflect, what I a lot of times do before I pray is, I'll reflect back on the miracles that I've seen God do. Okay. You know, financial miracles, healing miracles, testimonies. And uh, that tends to make the doubt and skepticism flee. And then I I start to realize, I just have this awareness that God is going to do it again. And I expect that he is going to heal this person. And most of the time, most of the time the people get healed. Right. Interesting. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more, actually, because I'm, I maybe if I find this, I'll, I'll put it on the screen. Um, but I believe that the word confidence comes from a Latin word, which actually means standing under God. But I, yeah. I would have to verify that. <laughs> that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I think it comes from the word confideo or something like that, which, which has that meaning, or what, or one of its meanings is that. So, and uh, in my own experience, I. Yeah, whenever you pray for someone, there's always that thing. It's almost like the uh, something runs alongside what you're doing, and it's always there to uh, kind of dissent, like and say, "Oh, this isn't going to happen," and blah blah blah. There's yeah. always that dissenting voice, yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. You know it. <laughs> yeah, you something you have to. That's why it's good for people to step out because until you step out, you don't actually discover that. So, right. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's one thing, actually, you know, now I say that, um, I, I come across people, they, they see Todd White and they see, you know, Pete Cabrera and all those kind of uh, really well-known people, street healing people, and yeah. they really want to do it. Like, you know, who, who wouldn't after seeing that? You see that, it's so exciting. Right. And yeah. um, But they just can't quite, you know, just get over that sort of fear or whatever it is. What advice would you give to those people? I, I have... Quite a lot of advice. I'll try not to take up the whole hour. Okay. <laughs> but um, there, there are some, you know, you, you and I hang out in a community of people who are pretty darn successful at healing and deliverance. Yes. Yeah. And, and you start to notice patterns right. when you hang out with people and you hear the testimonies and you, we have these conversations. And some patterns have emerged. Yes, for sure. You know, in the healing community. And one of them is, uh, I'll say this, uh, first advice Everybody that I know who is successful at any significant level in healing uh, or deliverance has prayed for thousands of people okay. <laughs> uh, and has absolutely refused to give up when the first 100 or 200 people weren't healed. And I think that is the biggest difference between people who don't see success and people who do see success. Now, there, there are a couple of exceptions to this rule, and I have a friend, uh, his name is Matt, uh, and Matt is c kind of the exception. Uh, Matt has always been a Christian. He was raised in a Christian household. He was fortunate enough. He went to Bethel uh, when he was, I think, probably 18 or 19. Okay. So early on, in his, early on in, his, in, in his adulthood, he went to Bethel. He saw miracles and signs and wonders, and he kind of always had this faith. He just knew that God was into miracles and, and healing. And he never had any, any real doubt or skepticism to overcome. He saw great results right from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. What I would tell people is if you are one of those people who is not starting from a position of skepticism and doubt, you can see the miraculous happen immediately without going through that two or three or 400 people that you pray with who no one gets healed. But the, the reality is this. So Todd White was a, uh, was a, a thug a drug addict, <laughs> a drug dealer, and so is Pete Cabrera. Right. Um, <clears throat> I didn't believe in healing and miracles at all. I was a, I was a, a uh, cessationist. Okay. I, did, I didn't even believe. I mean, I was a Christian, but I did not believe healing miracles and stuff were for today. I thought they ceased in the first century, and that was just – I was very, very adamant about that. So you have to understand that guys like Pete and Todd and myself, the reason why we had to pray with hundreds of people before we saw anyone healed – is we were coming from a place of skepticism and doubt and unbelief. We had to get our minds renewed to the truth, and renewing of the mind is a huge issue when it comes to the miraculous. And there is a learning curve to doing this, and it can be fairly steep at the beginning. And for a lot of people, that involves praying over a lot of people with joint injuries, a lot of people with migraines, you know, even getting accurate words of knowledge but not really having developed any faith yet right. in the miraculous and seeing people not healed. I will say this. I don't know of anyone who has persisted through that time period who has not seen results. Everyone who persists through that initial you know, break-in period where you're going up the learning curve, if you persist long enough, you will see miracles. You'll see people delivered. You'll see people healed of emotional trauma. It really is an issue of persistence, of not giving up, and allowing the Holy Spirit to renew your mind to the truth 
and developing faith that God really is going to do this stuff. That's my first bit of advice. Right. <laughs> I have more. I was just going to add to that. I was just going to add that. Um, yeah, go for it. Yeah, the, that's, that's kind of what I was talking about a little bit earlier when I said it, that it's the substance of something. It's kind of, it's kind of like, you know, you, you can meet someone or you can say it yourself. You can say, well, I believe. I, I believe in Jesus. And that's a very easy thing to do. You can say, I believe in Jesus. But, but there's, there's something, there can still be a lot missing, even though you say that. Uh, you might believe about the idea of Jesus, but you don't really believe, you know, that he really, really wandered around on top of water and he really did these things. He really rose from the dead. And that there's, yeah. there's a progression. And I have a similar kind of a similar story. I don't want to get too much onto me, but, you know, I wasn't necessarily a out and out atheist, but I certainly bought into the whole evolution story. And I and uh, I, but I tried to kind of make it work in the Bible, but I already always had a spiritual interest. So I wasn't, I didn't never, I never completely dismissed God, but I really probably would have been classed as an atheist at some point. So, yeah, anyway, so, yeah, carry on. What's the next piece of advice? <laughs> well, the next piece of advice is, uh, number one, pray with as many people as you can get your hands on. I right. mean, really, you know, it, it just, there's nothing, there's no substitute for practice. Okay. I think it's really, really helpful to be able to pray with a lot of people. And take as many opportunities. Get into, you know, if you're on Facebook and there's all these prayer groups, get in the groups and start praying for people. Right. Um, if your church is into, you know, they have an outreach ministry, go out there and do the outreach and pray for people and, and get yourself ex lots of exposure to praying for people to be healed. You know, learn to hear the voice of God. Learn to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and, and understand his leading, you'll start to get words of knowledge and you'll start to see things in visions. And all of that information is, are things that can help you fine-tune your prayer and go after the things that need to be addressed that you know are kind of the key issues. The other thing, and this is something that I just started to develop yesterday, um, it's been simmering for a while, but mm -hmm. somebody asked me a question yesterday. We got on MeWe. We got onto a nice long thread where I actually posted a video of my thoughts on this subject. Right. And uh, we had a, a nice follow-up conversation. And it's about the difference between striving and rest and how they relate to operating in the supernatural. And I think I'm probably going to end up writing a book on this subject. Okay. Uh, I had not considered writing a book on this until yesterday when, you know, this friend of mine asked a question. I thought, you know, boy, there isn't a whole lot of good information out there on this subject. Other, than, You know, Jeremy Magersheen wrote a, a nice little book called The Quitter's Manual, which is about rest. But there aren't a lot of good books out there on how to rest in God right now. Mm -hmm. So this is what I would say. This is my understanding of it today anyway. There, there are a lot of people in the church who greatly desire spiritual gifts. They want to learn how to prophesy. They want to learn how to heal. They want to learn miracles. They want to learn how to release gold dust and gemstones. And yeah. they, they, they want to see the miraculous happen. And, and there's a lot of, there's a growing interest, you know, in seeing in the spirit and stuff like that. The question that my friend asked is, how do I do these things from a place of rest and not from a place of striving. Right. Very, very good question. Yeah, it is. It, it's a really heavy question, and it's an important question. It's very important. Because he said, look, you know, the Bible says, earnestly desire 
the best gifts. Mm-hmm. So his, his question was, how do I desire and how do I uh, pursue spiritual gifts but not strive for them and not make it a works mentality? How do I do that from rest? So I had this dream. Uh, it was about four years ago. And in the dream, it was, it was a long dream, and I actually wrote about it in the book uh, on healing. But I'll give you just a short synopsis of it. In the dream, I met God the Father. I entered the kingdom of heaven, and I met him face to face. And I was shocked when I met him because he was so enamored with me and so in love with me and so tickled by everything that I did and so awed by everything that I said. I was literally the apple of his eye. I could do nothing wrong in his eyes. Right. I mean, I, in this dream, I was, he, he delighted in everything I did. He, was, he thought everything I said was funny. And it's, it was so strange and so foreign to me in the dream because I have tended to do things over my life uh, out of a need for acceptance. Okay. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a reformed uh, people pleaser. Okay. Uh, t- tend to do things to get, gain acceptance, to get people's you know, acceptance and things of that nature. So when I went into the kingdom of heaven in this dream and I met the father, uh, he was absolutely in love with me. I was astounded because I didn't have to do anything to please him. He was already pleased with everything I did and said. I didn't have to do anything special. I didn't have to work you know, extra hard to please him. He was already pleased with me just the way I was. Wow. And that dream profoundly impacted me from that point forward in my life. And what rest, I think, really is, it is a place uh, in the relationship where you truly, sincerely, honestly understand that the Father is okay with who you are, that he is not disappointed with you, even when you mess up, he is not uh, unhappy with you. He is not angry with you. He loves you. He is on your side. He is in your corner, and he is your biggest cheerleader. Right. And you really cannot do anything more to earn his favor or his pleasure or to make him more proud of you than he already is. Once you understand that uh, Father God absolutely adores and loves you as a person just exactly the way you are you can now take his hand and walk through life and you can go through your day whether it's going to the market or going to your job wherever you go you realize he's with you if you're painting he's painting with you if you're reading a book he's reading with you he's not ashamed to be associated with you and he's not afraid of who you are really on the inside Mm-hmm. He is he is just very okay with who we are. This kind of relates to how Jesus and the Father walked out, you know, Jesus' life. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. He and the Father were always walking hand in hand. The Father would show him things, and Jesus would respond like, you know, I need you to go down to Samaria to meet this woman because she's got some issues and we need to talk to her. And Jesus is like, oh, okay, cool, let's go do that. Mm-hmm. Um, not because Jesus didn't do things out of a sense of obligation, like he had to do, he had this long to-do list that the Father gave him every day. You have to go heal 10,000 people. Yeah. You have to go, you have to do this, and you have to do that, and you have to go here. It, 
it's easy for us to think that God has given us this long to-do list. Like, you have to do all these things to make me happy. You need to go to the mall and heal four people tonight. You need to go to Bible study, and you need to teach this, and you need to do this with your kids. It's easy for us to get in this mindset where we think God is requiring us to do so many things. Mm -hmm. But he he really isn't. And I, I fell into this trap when I started praying for people to be healed. I felt like I had to heal people everywhere I went. Every restaurant, every grocery store, every hardware store. If there was somebody, you know, limping, somebody with an immobilizer on their wrist, somebody with a sling on their shoulder, I was going to have to go pray for them. My wife gave me a wake-up call one day. She said, honey, you need to relax. Yeah. You, you, need to, you need to just put in an idol every once in a while and not be this healing machine. And, and she, she was basically very gently said, look, you have developed a works mindset, and you are striving and working to please God be out of a sense of obligation because you think he's going to be disappointed with you if you don't heal everyone who comes around. And see, that's the thing, was I had a, a motive in my heart that I needed to do more, work, more things to make God happy, right. to make him proud of me, to make him more accept me more, to win acceptance with people who are following me on my website, uh, there is this, it really comes down to the motives of your heart. And I think a lot of us are desiring spiritual gifts and the miraculous because we want to be accepted by people. We want to share the testimony so they accept us. We want to post a YouTube video mm-hmm. so they follow us and we have more followers on our YouTube channel. Or we want to, uh, we have a need for, you know, self-importance. And it makes us feel good if we can share all these testimonies of people that have been healed. I spent an, an evening with a friend one night for two and a half hours. He shared one healing testimony after another, after another, after another. And we had no other conversation. Right. It was one healing testimony after another. And he probably shared 20 or 30 testimonies of healing. And he wouldn't talk about anything else. That's the only thing he wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I was quite grieved at, during that, that night because I felt like this guy is in such a mindset. Like the only thing that he sees of value in his life is how many people he's seen healed. And when we're working from that mentality, that mindset, that we have to do these things in order to be important or to be valuable to other people or to be whatever, that is the striving yeah. that, that we can get into. So there's nothing wrong with wanting to see people healed. But if you want to see people healed because it will gain you acceptance or it will gain you prestige or it will, you know, give you something else, I think that is when you're not doing the miraculous from a place of rest. Right. The place of rest is where you are going about your day and you feel the Holy Spirit nudge you and you look over at a person and the Holy Spirit starts to give you a download of information about that person. And he says, go talk to them because I have something I want to say to them. Or I want them healed or I want you know, to do this. Once you are walking in that really sweet fellowship with the Father, the Holy Spirit will inhabit your life. And he will manifest miracles in his presence uh, in everything that you do. Sure. And, and to me, that's kind of the difference between operating the supernatural out of rest and operating in the supernatural out of striving. You know, it's a funny thing because uh, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I've been on a similar track myself to this. Um, with, with me, I've been really seeing a lot about um, the the fact that separation is an illusion. And uh, 
Yeah. And I've been re- I've been relating separation as an illusion back to what happened in the um, the Garden of Eden, and how if you really look at things today, if you look at everyone's problems, everyone's problems based on a lie. So if someone if someone goes out and heals people, I believe God will honor that. God honors yeah. that, and He'll still heal people. But that person can still be operating from, you know, quote unquote, a religious place where they're doing it for performance reasons because there's a lie in their mind telling them or there's a belief maybe in their mind that they're they're not good enough. You know, they're still got to there's still something wrong with them. And that may be true. There may be something wrong with them, but uh, you don't fix it through your activities. You fix it by observing that problem in the presence of God and then God just melting that away that's been my experience anyway (laughs) yeah i think that underneath everything that is wrong with the human condition there is a lie that that we are believing right that that empowers what the enemy is doing whether it's the lie that you're not good enough or you're not important enough or nobody likes you or whatever well how did we fall yeah how did did we fall right how did mankind fall (laughs) yeah we we believe the lie yeah and you know it's it's for me uh this is what i've known is as I take these things that I believe to Jesus and say, okay, this is what I believe. What do you believe <laughs> about this? Right. He, he says, look, you're believing a lie, so let me show you what the truth is. And as soon as Jesus shows you the truth about an issue of what you're believing, it totally destroys the lie. It disempowers what the enemy is doing. Right. And uh, you get healed of that problem. <laughs> yeah. So... Um... Do you, do you have any more uh, tips on that, or should we move on to a... Yeah, we can move on to uh, your next okay. uh, subject. I'm just, um, you know, I, obviously you're an author of three books now. Uh, you're yep. working, uh, I, I bet you're working on six others, right? Nope. I'm kidding. No, if we count the book on rest, which I am now, I've recorded some audio messages that I'm going to, <laughs> I started using Scrivener. Oh, okay. yeah. uh, it's the word processing thing for, you know, for writers. It's actually very nice because it, um, you can compose your book in this and it will export the book as a, uh, as an ebook file when you're done with it, which okay. is kind of nice. It's hard to find a decent program that will do that. But, um, I started dictating some audio messages on rest based on what I just said over the last 10 minutes. Okay. And if you count the book on rest, I think right now I have the concepts and partly written 12 more books, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe 13, in addition to the three I've already written. So it's worse than six. <laughs> yeah. Six of them are already half written. Right. Um, the fourth book is already written. We're in the process of editing it. The fifth book, oh gosh, is probably half written. And the sixth and seventh books are half written as well. Um, just rough outlines, drafts. I have to go through and, and finish things up. I hope to have two more books published by the end of the year. Okay. So um, so on the book front, for those, you know, people, there may be people listening who, who have only just heard of you. Um, so let's go through your, your books there. I mean, you're, <laughs> just just briefly on each book, just to kind of get a, All right. get a give an overview. The, you know, Divine, Divine Healing Made Simple was uh, really the first book that kind of, that's when I first met you. Uh, myself right. on Facebook, and uh, you yeah. know, I just I'll give my testimony of that book if you don't mind, and then I'll let you talk about it. You know, yeah, go for it. That was, you know, that was really the first book that I read on healing that I felt was complete. You know, and that's, you know, I commend you for that because it was a very complete 
book. It was very simply written, and it was like you didn't feel like anything was impossible after reading it, and it really added something. So, I mean, you know, if what well, I'm guessing that was your aim. Well, you succeeded if that was your aim. But anyway, I'll let you talk. <laughs> yeah, that was my aim. And, yeah. you know, again, I didn't. I never planned on being an author. Right. Never, never planned on writing the book. But, you know, the Lord gave me all these dreams about healing. Yes. And, uh, you know, unlocking some of the, some of the keys and, and things like that, some things that people didn't understand. And then, you know, all the Facebook discussions that we had about, you know, why people aren't healed and why they lose their healing and stuff like that. Um, really, the book was kind of a group effort. And the reason why I think it's, it's such a helpful book is I took the insights from a lot of very uh, knowledgeable experts like Roger Sapp and Roger Webb and, and um, other people who've had really good experiences kind of took all those uh, in, ex, insights and put them into a book that I wanted to make it as broad and comprehensive as possible mm-hmm. because I'd read a lot of books on healing. I read, you know, Joan Hunter has some good books on healing and John Wimber's books. And uh, there's a lot of other people that have, have good books on healing. But what I found was missing from the collection of books on healing was uh, a book that addresses every aspect of healing from uh, strange things like making disciples and how healing plays into our ability to disciple people. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very few people write on the discipleship aspect of healing. Right. And then, you know, all the books I've read, I never really saw anyone address the issues of why people aren't healed and why people lose their healing. Yeah, yeah. And I got a lot of questions from people about that. And I thought, well, someone needs to write about this. So right. I, guess, I guess I need to take a swing at it. I tried to make the book as broad as possible and answer as many questions as possible on healing. And so, yeah, thanks. I, I appreciate the, the, the feedback on it. And, and, and I will say this. I was talking to my wife, and we both feel like it's time to do a second edition. <clears throat> there are some things that I didn't put in the first book. Um, I really didn't talk at all about inner healing, right? Because I that was kind of a new subject to me. But I've gained some experience since we first published the book. There's also since the third book, Seeing in the Spirit Made Simple, came out, and I put exercises at the end of the chapters. Right. When I look back at the first book, I thought, you know, I should have put exercises at the end of the chapters. Actually, after after the book came out, a number of people came to me and said, you know. If you could like create a workbook or put some exercises at the end of the chapters or some kind of activation, it would that would be make the book better. Right. So I'm thinking in the second edition we're probably at least going to include exercises at the end of the main chapters, and I will I, I plan on adding at least one more chapter and updating the information on a bunch of other chapters. So the second edition is probably going to be coming out uh, as soon as I get time to uh, revamp the manuscript and get some. New, new things added in there. Right on. Okay. Well, I'll look forward to that. Sure. Um, yeah. So uh, your next book was the, the uh, My Craziest Adventures with God. Am I getting them in the right order? I'm sure I am. You, yes. you are correct. Okay. That, is, that was the second book. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Now, I guess, the, the, <laughs> you know, what? What? obviously I can see your motivation for writing the book, but if you could explain that. And also I'd like to hear your absolute craziest adventure with God. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. I have if you wouldn't mind sharing. So the funny thing about that book is that was actually the first book that God asked me to write. Oh, interesting. Okay. But the healing book came out first <laughs> because 
God never asked me to write a book on healing. <laughs> oh, wow, that's funny. That was, that was actually um, a lot of peer pressure. So after I had written several dozen articles on my blog and Facebook notes, you know, people started coming around saying, hey, you know, you should turn this into a book. I thought, no way. I'm not interested in writing a book. That sounds like too much work. Right. I'm not an author. I'm a paramedic, so leave me alone. Right. And, and, you know, eventually, after I wrote about 30 articles or so on healing, people said, look, let's, do you know how many people you could reach if you would take all these articles and put them in a book? So I thought, okay, maybe I need to consider this. So my wife and I talked about it, and she said, look, honey, you know, I used to work for a book publisher. Right. I, can do, I can do the interior files. I can do the graphic design for you. All you have to do is do some writing. And her niece uh, has always wanted to be an editor. She actually has a college degree in professional writing, and she tutored people in composition in, in college okay. and loves to, you know, coach people in writing. And she said, look, I will edit your book for you if you want to take a, you know, me on as your first I've, she said, I've never, I have no experience, but it would be really good experience for me. Mm-hmm. So she signed on as the editor. And the cool thing about it was she was a new believer when she started editing the book. Oh, okay. That's cool. And she didn't know really anything about the concepts I talk about in the book. So as she was editing the manuscript, we had some really interesting conversations. <laughs> you did. <laughs> and so I got to disciple her right. uh, in the process of editing the book, which was kind of cool. cool. So the craziest adventures, though, is um, that was the first book that the Lord actually asked me to write. I had a dream, oh gosh, probably four years ago, where I was walking through a bookstore with my wife. It was like a Barnes & Noble or something like that, and we were on a, on a book signing tour. And, uh, I looked down at the book in my hand. It was a book I had written, and it, the, the title of the book was My Craziest Adventures with God. And so I woke up from the dream. I said, honey, I think um, maybe... God wants me to write a book. And she said, really? What about? <laughs> and I told her, she just laughed. Right. So that was, that was the, the concept for the book was just um, a, a lot of testimonies of the crazy, amazing things that we've seen God do. Uh, everything from healing to financial miracles to um, automotive miracles. Um, <laughs> we've seen some pretty crazy things. Wow. Um, and, and there's more because this, the next book we're going to publish is My Craziest Adventures with God, Volume 2. Right. As my wife and I have read over the manuscript, we are both in of the opinion that the second book is going to be much better than the first book. Right. Okay. Um, for a number of reasons. Number one, I wrote the f- stories in the first book uh, between 2009 and 2011, and I was not a very good writer at that point in my life. Okay. Um, so I, I was struggling to learn how to create a good story. And uh, I, I think, uh, in all honesty, the writing is not that good in that first book. Not, I don't think it's nearly as good as the writing is in the second book. I, I think the stories are a bit longer, and I think I have developed a little better ability to write stories. So I think the second book will actually be better than the first one. And I think we both agree the stories are more interesting. Right. In the so you want to know what my craziest adventure yeah, is? Yeah, yeah, that's what everyone wants to know. <laughs> oh, good Lord. How do I pick out the craziest adventure? Oh, man. Some of them are involved dreams. Okay. Um, well, one that piqued my interest is an automotive uh, one. What, what, what was that? <laughs> we've actually had, we've actually had uh, 
two, uh, but the one that involved me was kind of an interesting story. Um, my daughter moved with us down here to Phoenix, and she lived here for a year. She went to college, and we got her a car while she was here. And uh, it was a 10-year-old car and a Toyota Corolla. And, you know, it, it wasn't the greatest car in the world, but it got her to and from college. She moved away, and we had an extra car, and we didn't really need it, so I wanted to sell it. The problem was it didn't run very good. Right. It had a horrible hesitation, and any time you would come to a stop sign – when you would uh, accelerate after the after stopping, the engine would hesitate and sputter, and it just wasn't running very good. And it had been like that since we bought it. So my wife said, "Honey, we need to sell the car, but you might want to consider getting it running better before we sell it, or we're not going to get much money for it." <laughs> so I thought, "Yeah, uh, you're right." So I had been fretting about this for about a week or two about how I was going to fix the car. You know, do I take it to a mechanic and have them fix it? Do I try to do it myself? Because I, I don't mind working on cars, but I don't know a whole lot about, uh, didn't know a whole lot about this particular car. One day I was getting ready to go to the parts store to buy, I just thought I'm going to get some new spark plugs, spark plug wires, new distributor cap, and do a basic tune-up on it. Right. There's a, a kind of a, a backstory to this. My wife has a Bose iPod dock that she had gotten from her son as a oh. birthday present. And my wife loved this thing. It's a portable speaker system where you put your iPod in, and it's an amplifier that amplifies your iPod. And we had been using this outside by our pool for several years, you know, to just have music out there. And it stopped working. Uh, so for several months, this thing had been broken. And my wife was kind of sad about it because she really loved it. One night, we had some friends over. And these friends have seen a lot of miracles, including automotive miracles and other things. So my wife developed a little plan. We're going to pray over this broken iPod dock, and we're going to fix it. So she <laughs> just, just, just before we're getting ready to eat, she picks up the iPod dock and takes it outside and sets it on the table. And, and I was like, honey, that thing's broken. <laughs> it worked for a long time. And she just smiled at me and walked past me, and I thought, she has a plan. Right. She's gonna that thing. She's gonna get that thing healed tonight. So this friend of ours, uh, Gwendolyn, she gets. She's there, and my wife and Gwendolyn are talking, and they said, "Look, we're just gonna go outside and we're gonna pray, and God's gonna heal this thing." So we go outside and we start praying, and I see in in a vision, I see broken electrical wires, and I'm just commanding these wires to be healed. And uh, when we're done praying, my wife goes over and plugs in the iPod dock puts the iPod in, turns it on, and it was, was working fine. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. So, yeah. you know, somehow supernaturally this thing gets healed. Right, right. So fast forward back to uh, a couple of weeks later, I'm thinking about fixing the car. And as I'm walking out to the garage to get some tools, and I'm going to get in the car and go get some parts, the, I hear the Holy Spirit say, didn't I fix the iPod dock? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I stopped in my tracks, and I said, Yes, Lord, you certainly did. And he goes, well, can't I fix this car? And I thought, well, sure you can. You can do anything. So uh, I thought, okay, that's it. I'm going to give it a try. So I got in the car, and I just basically started commanding the car to be healed, <laughs> just like I would a broken arm or a broken right, right, leg. Right, right. I said, car, I command you to be healed. Ignition system, I command you to work properly. Fuel system, I command you to be cleaned out of any junk that's not supposed to be there. And I said, angels of 
electronic miracles. If there's mechanic angels out there, I want you to get here and fix this car in Jesus' name. And I was just making these declarations over it for about three or four minutes. I, I got I thought, okay, Lord, you're going to heal this car. So I put the key in the ignition and I started it up, backed it out of the driveway, and I drove down to the stop sign at the end of the street. And uh, I stopped and then I accelerated and there was no hesitation at all. Wow. So I, I made a turn. I went out to the main street and, again, accelerated, no hesitation. There was a couple of places where I came to a stop sign, and I started to think to myself, what if it's not really healed? What if it's just my imagination? And as I started to doubt, the car actually started hesitating again. Wow. Just a little bit. And then I thought to myself, no, 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 no. Th- this car is fixed. It's healed. Yeah. There is, I'm not going to doubt anymore. And as I erased all this doubt out of my mind, and I just decided in my heart, I'm going to believe that God healed this car. It stopped hesitating. And I drove it home. I said, honey, you're not going to believe it. The car's fixed. And she said, you're right. I don't believe it. I said, well, let's get in and drive it. So she got in the car. I took it out and drove it around the neighborhood for about five or you know, 10 minutes. And she was all smiles. She right. could, it, did, it didn't, that, on that drive, it didn't hesitate at all, nothing. So we quick put the car <laughs> up for sale. <laughs> we listed it on Craigslist. And, and here's the thing. I, I did not want to sell this car to somebody thinking that it was going to break down so, on them so. right after we sold it. I absolutely con- was convinced and believed that God had healed that car and it was going to run fine for whoever purchased it. So we put, we we put the price on the car the same price we paid for it a year earlier, right. and uh, we wouldn't have gotten nearly that much if it had not been running well. So, anyways, that night, a man and a woman came over to our house, said, "Hey, we want to test drive the car." Gave them the keys. They took out, took it out, and test drove it. Went up and down the freeway, drove around town, came back to the house twenty minutes later, and said, you know this car runs great, right. and the interior is clean, and the engine like we love this car. We'll give you what you're asking, the asking price for it. Wow. So they were happy. They just gave us money, and we sold the car. And we've, we've seen a number of um, similar miracles where God has healed electronic uh, things like I, It's funny. It's, the reason why I picked on that story is I, I, don't want to, you know, I don't want to take over too much, but I have, a, I have an automotive story, which was so funny. Yeah, because the reason why it's funny is because I was kind of joking. I wasn't even serious. I was just kind of being, like, funny. I'm like, Car Hill, you know, I was playing. <laughs> I didn't really think it would work. I was just, what it was is I was driving along. I had an old Dodge uh, van and I was driving along and suddenly I literally saw it happen. I saw the odometer needle go zoom to zero. And uh, and I've seen that on vehicles before where the odometer just stops working. And it's a, where I live, that's a disaster, a recipe for disaster because there's speed cameras everywhere and all this sort of stuff. So you, you want to know how fast you're going. And I looked at that, and I just playfully said, right now, in Jesus' name, get out of there, whoever's doing that. Right now, you you work. And I, I, I'm not kidding. It just went zoom, back up again. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I was, I was kidding. But, but God was serious. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. And I, I was amazed. I was amazed. Like, and you're scratching yeah. your head like, oh, wow, that really happened. That really happened. <laughs> Because it, it was just so bizarre. If anyone would come along and try and claim, oh, that's a coincidence, I mean, wow. 
That's the most incredible. Right. <laughs> it's funny how these coincidences happen at the exact same time that we're praying for them. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah. So that's yeah. Uh, yeah, that's my little automotive story for sure. <laughs> yeah, I have uh, I have a short little time travel uh, <laughs> story. Oh, that's I'd love to hear that one. <laughs> still scratching my head a little bit over how that that stuff happens. Well, I was going to work one day, and uh, I had. Unfortunately, um, I was dilly-dallying at home, and I left the house a little bit later than I wanted to. I have a, a path that I take to get to work, and it always takes me the same amount of time. It usually takes almost exactly 20 minutes to get there. Mm-hmm. Very rarely does it ever deviate more than one or two minutes either way, uh, regardless of traffic or lights or anything like that. So I, I left a little bit late, and I figured, okay, well... Uh, I'll maybe get there right at six o'clock, which is when my shift starts. Maybe maybe a minute or two after six, because it was a, it was I think it was the first day of school, and so that I was going to have to go through some school zones. Okay. And so the speed limit drops down to really slow, and there's kids walking through, and there's always it always takes longer the first couple of days of school in, in the fall. So um, I was a little nervous, but as I'm driving to work. I'm looking at the clock on my car, on the dashboard, and and it's not moving. <laughs> it's staying at the same time it was when I left the house. I, I drove about uh, five miles, and the clock did not move wow. at all. And I pulled out my phone just to double check, and my phone hadn't moved either. Both of them had the same time on them as when I left the house. So God had somehow put me in a little time warp where time was not advancing. I've heard so, stories. I've heard similar stories. Yeah. 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 So I I'm look at my wife and I'm like, honey, um, something strange is going on. I don't understand this. But it's exactly the same time now as when we left the house. And we were five or six miles down the road by now. Right. So she said, what are you talking about? And I said, well, we left it, you know. Uh, 5.43, and it's still 5.43, and we've driven at least, you know, four or five miles, so she, she didn't think too much about it. So we dri- I get to work, and I actually got to work six minutes early. One of the EMTs, who is, they, uh, we relieve them, so we come in in the morning, and they go off duty at six o'clock in the morning, and we come on duty. One of the EMTs said, hey, man, he goes, um, dispatch has a call that they need someone to respond on, and they assigned us to the call. But if you guys could take it, that would be really awesome because I have to go home and take my daughter to school. It's the first day of school, and she's going to be terrified if I can't be there. And I said, yeah, yeah, no worries. We'll, we'll take it. He said, how long will it take you to get in service? I said, ah, two minutes. We'll just grab, the, grab our equipment, throw it on the ambulance. We'll be ready to go. So we grabbed our gear, put it on the ambulance, got, got on the radio, and told dispatch we were in service, and we'd take the call for these guys so they could go home. Go on. It was actually before 6 o'clock when we went in service and took the call. And I didn't think too much about it, but this EMT seemed really relieved and very happy that we were able to be there early and take over this call for them so that they wouldn't be late. At the end of the shift, at 6 o'clock at night, these guys come back on duty, and we're going home. And this EMT takes me over the corner, and he goes, man, he goes, I just want to thank you so much. He goes, you don't understand how important it was for me to be at home this morning to take my daughter to school. I said, well, you're right, I don't understand. What's the big deal? He goes, well, my daughter has really bad separation anxiety, and I know that if I had not been there to take her to school, she would have flipped out. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear over this thing, 
And he goes, it was just so awesome for you to show up early and be able to take the call for me so I could go home. And then it started to dawn on me why God had that little time warp thing. He slowed down time enough for me to get there to work so that this EMT could go home and take his daughter to school so she wouldn't have an anxiety attack. Right. That's amazing. And, And I just think, really, God, you do stuff like that? It just demonstrates how much he loves us and how much he cares about us. Yeah, that's the most misunderstood part of God, I think. <laughs> yeah, it is. It really he is. loves us, for sure. So, so let's, uh, let's move on to your, your latest book that's been released, is uh, seeing, seeing in the Spirit Made Simple. Seeing uh, in the Spirit Made Simple. Yes. Boy, that is a hot topic nowadays, isn't it? It seems to be, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I saw uh, Michael Van Vleiman's book, when he, you know, published that about a year and a half ago. Right. I've read that. And I saw the great response that that book had. And, uh, you know, Michael and I have become friends, and we've talked on Facebook, and we've talked on the phone. And uh, I really liked that book because I think Michael was really the first writer to come along and say anyone can see in the spirit. It's, it's not just for a few special people. Right. And when I read that in his book – I thought, you know, gosh, I'm really glad somebody finally said this because because I had kind of been thinking for a while that it, it really was something that anyone can do, but I didn't understand the mechanics behind it. I didn't understand what it was all about because there's so many books out there on seeing in the spirit that basically teach that, you know, it's a gift. And if God's given you the gift, then you're just a really blessed person. Right. And if God hasn't given you the gift, well, then it sucks to be you, and you're never going to see in the Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, that, well, that's the that's attitude of a lot of gifts in you know, Christianity. But, yeah, carry on. Sorry. Yeah. So um, the funny thing is, right, <laughs> when I um, had finished up the manuscript for My Craziest Adventures with God, I sent an email to my editor uh, with the manuscript saying, okay, here you go, I'm done, You're, you take over and you can start editing. That night, when I sent that manuscript to Lydia, I had a dream that I was writing a book about seeing in the spirit. Okay. And I had not thought about writing a book on that subject. Because I, I had read Michael's book and I thought, it's a really good book. It kind of lays things out pretty well. But apparently the Lord said, no, I'm not done writing on that subject, so I want you to write the next book. Yeah. <laughs> So I thought, okay, great. So I woke up in the morning from the dream, and I went to work, and it was a very slow day. I ended up working at a station where we didn't run any calls the whole shift. So I just began writing the manuscript. I sat down for about an hour, basically transcribed what I felt like the Holy Spirit was uh, showing me, and I would take a little break and rest for five minutes, and then I'd go back to my computer and write for another hour, and then uh, take a break and then write for another hour, and I did that off and on throughout the whole day, um, and in pretty quick time got the manuscript shaped up, wow. just really dictating what the Holy Spirit was, was teaching and showing me. That, I think that book takes the discussion one step further than where Michael left it at. Okay, that's and, good. And I think there's another book that's coming out by my friend Jeremy Magersheen. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy and I have been talking, and he he said, you know, he goes, I have a book on seeing in the spirit too. And I said, you should write it. And he goes, do you think people would read it? And I said, I know people will read it. It's a, it's a subject that a lot of people are really interested in. And I don't think the last book has been written on that subject. So Jeremy has a book coming out 
And I, I said, dude, write the book, and I, if you want me to, I'll write the forward to it. Right. Because okay. Jeremy is Jeremy has some pretty good revelation on it too. Um, I've read I've read Jeremy's longest bridge book. Good book, isn't it? Yeah, it's a good book. Yeah. I guess you know what pops in my mind, so I'm just going to go with that. Is um, the people who are in our sort of circle, I guess, don't think this way, but there's a lot of people out there who maybe uh, are new to these ideas that, that look at kind of the idea of seeing in the spirit and all this sort of stuff, and they get concerned. They start to think about, you know, new age uh, stuff and all that sort of, you know, those fears and those concerns and that, you you know, meddling in things or doing things you shouldn't be doing. And, yeah. you know, I know in our circles we don't think that way, but it'd be interesting if you could address that for those who are maybe, you know, having that little bit feeling of concern. I would be happy to talk about that. Sure. You know, being uh, a person who was a cessationist uh, not too long ago, I understand those concerns completely. There is this belief in the church that what's wrong with just reading the Bible and believing what the Bible says? Why do we have to go and pursue visions and try to discern what God might be saying through visions and have to interpret them and maybe be wrong Mm -hmm. and maybe fall into error and maybe... Maybe be deceived, and because you never really know the source of a vision or anything like that. So those are all valid concerns, mm-hmm. and I address a lot of them in the first chapter of the book. The thing that we have to understand is everything that God has purposed for the church, the enemy has done a pretty decent job of duplicating okay. and, uh, and perverting for dark purposes. You know, Jesus gave the disciples power and authority to heal the sick. Well, (laughs) there are a lot of people who practice, you know, New Age healing and Reiki, you know, energy healing and stuff like that. And they can can get people's symptoms relieved to some degree uh, through energy healing. But there is a huge difference between Reiki healing and Christian healing. And just because one of them exists, just because there are people who are operating in in Reiki, does not mean that all healing is evil or bad. Jesus gave us the legitimate copy, the genuine article of what healing really looks like. And, okay, somebody came along and made a counterfeit. Great. Well, that doesn't mean that the real thing isn't real. Right, for sure. The same is true for most of the things in the supernatural whether it's um, you know signs and wonders and miracles, or whether it's something like seeing in the spirit, my approach to seeing in the spirit is that it's not even really a gift. You know, some people believe that seeing in the spirit is a gift that God gives to people. I don't. I don't think that's true. You can't find that anywhere in the Bible. Uh, and you look at all the gifts uh, of the Father, the gifts of Jesus, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit in Romans 12, Ephesians 4. And First Corinthians, and you won't find seeing in the Spirit listed in any of the gifts uh, given by God. So I don't really think it's a gift. I think it's an ability right. that we all we all possess, and we possess the ability to see in the Spirit simply because we are a spirit that has a body right. that possesses a soul. And if you're a soul, body, and spirit, you're born with mm-hmm. uh, physical eyes that can see. You're born with legs that can walk. You're born with a mouth that can speak. Those aren't things that you have to, you don't have to be given the gift of talking or the gift of 
walking or in the same manner. Your spirit is born with spiritual eyes. All of us, because we have a spirit, are able to see in the spirit. We're all able to hear things in the spirit. The spirit has senses just like the physical body. The spiritual body has the ability to smell. Uh, a lot of people smell aromas in the spirit. Mm-hmm. The spirit has the ability to feel. There are a lot of people who would call themselves prophetic feelers because they feel prophetically. They feel sensations from the Holy Spirit and from demons. They just have these sensations in their spirit. And it's the same with seeing in the spirit. We, our spirit has spiritual eyes. And our spirit is able to see things in the spiritual world, to see visions, to see angels and demons. The problem is that most of us are not aware what's going on in the spiritual world because we're totally tuned into what's going on in the physical world. Seeing in the spirit is really an issue of learning to focus your mind on what is going on and what your spiritual eyes are seeing right? and which, what your spiritual ears are hearing. And that's how you grow in the ability to hear the voice of God, hear angels and demons, and to see things in the spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people have these experiences where they, they'll say something like, um, oh, I, I thought that was going to happen, or they'll say, hey, you know, I, uh, I was thinking of you and the phone rang, and, and these sorts of things that people report, and they, they dismiss it. Generally, people dismiss that. Oh, that's nothing. That's, well, that's, yeah. that's just a, something. But I believe that is something. And, uh, and if you choose to look into that deeper, you'll actually will develop. Yeah. Uh, One of the things that is really common that I've found people have is they have these... Um, flashes in their mind of images right. that they can't really explain. <laughs> they are pretty sure did not come from them. Like they'll get these uh, visual flashes of scenes of another person who is in distress or, or, or in danger, or they'll get a visual image that just lasts for a moment of um, a demon or an angel or something of that nature, something in the heavens. And a lot of people, I think most people probably, tend to write that off as their imagination. Right. Yes, that's, that's not point. Not realizing they're actually receiving mm-hmm. revelation from heaven that they're supposed to act on. <laughs> they don't really understand what's going on. So uh, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah, that's, that's something I've been uh, developing, uh, developing myself more recently is that, that not to dismiss too quickly. You know, yeah. to uh, be more open and considering. Hang on, what is this? You know, yeah. So that's 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 great. So I mean, if, if where's the where's the best place for people to get hold of your books if they're you know wanting to get a copy of any of these books? I'm going to actually post some links with the video as well. But if they want to seek them out themselves. Where would that be? The easiest place probably to find my books is on Amazon. Okay. Um, so all of my books are available on Kindle. And they're also uh, available in paperback. But you can get them at Barnes & Noble. You can get them uh, if you like ebooks and you're a, uh, an iBook fan. You can get my books on, uh, on iBook. Um, they are available on Kobo. They're available on Nook. Uh, most of the ebook retailers, you can get my books through, through those uh, outlets as well. Is, you know, in, clo- in closing, I think we've... Uh... Had a, had a good chat there. In closing, is there you know any sort of final words you'd like to give? <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, um, no, not really. I just really appreciate you uh, letting me come on the show. Oh and, no, I appreciate. And you. I would, yeah, I guess I would say this. Um, my website and my ministry really is all about training and equipping the saints. Okay. 
um, that's really my heart. It's really the only thing I have uh, any any passion about is training and mentoring and equipping people to live the you know in the fullness of God uh, as sons of God. And so, if you're interested in learning about healing and deliverance, uh, inner healing, if you're interested in learning on seeing in the spirit. Um, you know, anything of that nature, hearing God's voice. Um, I'm writing more books as time allows, and I'm writing lots and lots of articles. Um, on my website, prayingmedic.com, I post articles. I post a lot of video testimonies of people that are healed. I post a lot of essays that are written by friends that are sharing their walk with God and insights into the kingdom. So if you're interested in those sorts of things, I would encourage you, if you haven't uh, been to my website, to go there, check out you know, the articles and videos. There's a lot of stuff. I, I got an email from a woman the other day who said, I just spent three days going through all of your uh, messages and videos. And she said, wow, it's like going to a school of the supernatural. Wow. But it doesn't cost anything to do it. Yeah, that's very satisfying. So she was really blessed by all the stuff that was on the, was on the website. And, and I would say this one last thing. If you're interested in being trained in the supernatural, but you don't have the nine or $10,000 that it costs to go to an actual school of supernatural ministry. And I'm I'm not knocking them at all. I think the schools are great. I have a a number of friends who are attending schools. Um, You know, Bethel does a really good job with their school of supernatural ministry. And I know that uh, Morningstar has one. And I think IHOP probably has one. A lot of different churches are putting on schools where they're training people. And I think they're great. I have this uh, plan to write a series of books called The Kingdom of God Made Simple. Okay. And so divine healing made simple is the first. Seeing in the spirit made simple is the second. The third book I plan to write is Hearing God's Voice Made Simple. Okay. And the fourth one is either going to be this new book, Resting in God Made Simple, where I talk about rest and, and talk about the identity of the believer. The other possibility is Power and authority made simple. I really, I, I like that subject, and I've got some recent revelation on that. So those are five books in kind of what I would consider as, as a basic beginner level instruction. And then the last two books that I have planned for the series are Inner Healing and Deliverance Made Simple. And Mark, I'm going to pick your brain on this subject because I'm trying to get as much insight from as many people as I can on that subject because a lot of people have different experiences that are valuable. Sure. And then um, the last book I plan for that series is Traveling in the Spirit Made Simple. Oh, that would be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Michael Van Vleiman, I, should, I don't know if I should say this, but Michael is going to write a book on Traveling in the Spirit, too. Right. Um, he's working on the manuscript. Okay. And uh, we're gonna, we're gonna sh- I'm going to sh- send him my manuscript when I get it almost done. He's going to send me his, and we're going to compare notes. Right. I think that if you read all the books and do the exercises that are in them, and put into practice the things that you learn, you'll essentially complete a self-study course on supernatural ministry and spend less than $100 doing it. Right, So That's awesome, yeah. That's one one thing I've noticed is these these schools. I know, you you know, there's a lot of amazing things coming out of these schools, but my goodness, not everyone can afford, uh, you know, to to drop five grand or whatever they are. I know I've looked at some where they... You know, there are thousands and this and that. And, yeah. and I understand and, they've got to pay the bills and this and yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand that yeah. too. The <laughs> other thing is I, we are considering the possibility of putting out some teaching videos to go along with the books. Right. 
Interesting. So that is something we will likely be doing as time allows. Uh, I only have so much time, so I can mm-hmm. only do so much. But um, I think that's the next thing we're going to be doing. We started doing podcasts a couple of months ago, and I think we're going to start doing videos. Oh, yeah. I wanted to actually uh, mention that. Uh, maybe you could talk about that. I know you do a podcast every yeah. mo- Monday morning, is it? Monday mornings. Yeah, yeah, I just started doing that a couple of months ago. Okay. Um, some of the messages are just my wife and I talking about things that – uh, the Lord is teaching us about some of them. Uh, we sometimes do a book review and sometimes I interview my friends who, you know, have insights into the supernatural. Right. So podcasts are on Monday morning. Some of them are as short as 10 or 15 minutes and some go as, you know, as long as an hour and 15 minutes. Right. Just depends on, you know, who the guest is and what we're talking about. But those, you can get those on my website uh, or you can look for my channels on Podbean. I'm also on iTunes. Uh, they're out there on Stitcher. Hmm. Yeah, those are the main places where they're at. Okay. Right. And, uh, yeah, so you can tune into those if you're if you like podcasts. Okay, awesome. So yeah, that's prayingmedic.com, everyone. Just to remind you, and I'll put that on the screen as well. And uh, well, you know what? I really, really, really appreciate you coming on the show and uh, uh, talking with us. And you know, thank you very much, uh, Praying Medic. It's been awesome talking to you. It's been eye-opening, and I hope everyone out there has really enjoyed this. Yeah, thank you, Mark. It has been a real pleasure talking to you as well. I just love talking about this stuff. I could do it all day long. And if you ever need me to come back on the show, I will be back. Yeah, yeah, I definitely will get you back, um, you know, as uh, new books are released and things like that, for sure. Cool. Yeah. Okay, thank you then, and uh, I'll see you. (laughs) Right, mate, thanks. Well, folks, that is our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for dropping by. If you're new to the podcast and you haven't been to my website, you might drop by and check out the articles I have there. If you have any questions or comments about the show, you can contact me at admin at prayingmedic.com. That's A-D-M-I-N at prayingmedic.com. I'd like to thank you again for dropping by. I hope you enjoyed the show. <laughs>